First things first. As much as I'm a fan of tough skins, we gotta get you a swimsuit. Seriously, when's the last time you bought jeans? My mom buys my jeans. Good. Always take things literally. How's that working out for you? Does that get you laid? Come on. about this one well this was the, okay we do these things in, in groups of three we do three movies at a time and what you did is you gave me two um in your face slasher movies and this and you did say that this would be sort of i'd need this after i got through the slasher movies and i did watch them in that sequence and when i started watching it i just thought this is just some stupid coming of age movie about this charmless kid uh well i won't mention his name yet because i'm calling him a charmless kid because he boy did he grow on me and I thought this is one of the best films you've given me to watch. I really liked it a lot. Right. I'm, I'm relieved to hear this because this is my favourite film of the last 20 years. Well, it's really good. Um, okay, so this is a movie called The Way, Way Back. It was made in 2013, so it's surprisingly recent for mm. the kind of stuff we're doing. And it's about this kid who goes to, is it in Cape Cod or somewhere? Some, some seaside town yeah. somewhere. He's dragged there by, I was going to say his parents, but it's not his parents, by his mother and by, I was going to say his stepfather, but I think she's just his mum's boyfriend at yeah. this stage. Okay, so, but when I'm talking about his family, I've got a, okay, we'll put a bookmark there. He's dragged to this seaside town, and it's rather amusingly described by some of the teenagers as being like spring break for adults. Yes. Because they all go there, and they get boozed up, and they, they have sort of random sex, and, and the kids are sort of left at a loose end. And this He's a very sort of mopey kind of teenage boy called Duncan, I believe. And I'm just going to check who he's played by. He's quite far down this list, which isn't very good. Yeah, by Liam James. And he, but you see, he's supposed to be not very likable at first because he's just this moany, sulky kid. Uh, but what happens is, I suppose the real turning point is he kind of gets this covert holiday job. And this is one reason I'm sure you love this movie so much because he gets a holiday job at this... Um, this, what would you call it? It's like it's a, a water theme, park. It's a water park. It's what a theme park. It's called yeah. Water Whiz. And what it is, is it's got a bunch of water shoots and stuff. But you, for several years, had a job at a theme park, did you not? Yes. Yes. So is that part of the charm of this for you? Yeah, multiple layers on this one. Because, um, firstly, my obsession with films where it's the outsider who wants to be part of the... The outsider becomes an insider. Yeah, yeah. who actually finds a family that they yes. can belong to, which is always yeah. a good thing. Uh, but also, yeah, I, I was always an awkward kid. Um, I was fat and I was ginger and I liked Doctor Who. Those, it's not a good combination. <laughs> That's three you can't strikes, meet people. All I'm you afraid. can meet are old men. Because <laughs> this was the 80s. Yeah, yeah. There wasn't anyone our age. I got my, my first job was working in a, a greengrocer's uh, backyard cleaning out crap. And it was a horrible job and I did it on my own and I had no contact with I know, anyone. this is the one we used to throw rats on a railway track. Dead yes. rats. Yeah, yeah that was I hate a good to way to get rid of them. But then I got this job at a theme park and discovered this whole new world of people. And it really brings you out of yourself because suddenly... Well, that's hilarious because that's exactly what happens to this kid, yeah. this introverted kid. He, he 
has the good fortune that he's mentored by Sam Rockwell, who's fabulous in well, this. Well, I am livid that Sam Rockwell didn't get an Oscar for this film because I think <laughs> this is... He got on one the following year, but... What, like, what did he get it for? Oh, no, oh, yes, yes. Yeah. I know what he got it for. He got it for three billboards. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, I used to hate Sam Rockwell. I, I really didn't like him in stuff because he was very one note. That's But that's exactly what I was going to say. And then this film came along and I thought, Gee, this guy is incredible. He plays this so well. Well, the thing is, film. I had my road to Damascus, my, my road to Rockwell earlier, because I thought, oh, he's always just the same shtick. Yeah. That's all he's capable of doing. Then I saw this great TV series called uh, Fosse Verdon. I've still not watched that. Oh, he that? He's Bob Fosse. Oh, is he really? And I watched the first... That's pretty good casting, No, but actually. I watched the first episode, <laughs> and I thought, who's the guy playing Bob Fosse? He's amazing. Yeah. And it was Sam Rockwell. And... Then you then realise that all those other things, are just it isn't him just being him. Those are performances, and he can do other things. Yeah. And I, he's up there with the best now. Yeah. I really like him. So uh, before I saw this, I'd already been turned around. I'd already had my Rockwell conversion. Now, you see, the opposite happened in that up until this film, I had never seen Steve Carell in anything. I knew nothing about him except that he was supposed to be a comedian. And I got to the end of this film, and I absolutely hated the bastard. Of course. Because he plays such an awful person. He, he's narcissistic. So well. Yeah. yeah he, well, so he's the, I, we'll call him the stepdad, but he's, yeah. they're not married, right? And he's also screwing around on the mother. Yeah. And he's so nasty to the kid. But I could see this is Steve Carell. And again, it's a really great, because if you're used to seeing him in his, his standard comedy mode, yeah. He's usually the um, lovable nebbish, the, you know, the fumbling schmuck. So this is a very different performance. But the cast is great. It's got Tony Collette, who was also in Please Stand By, right? Yeah. Uh, I seem to remember you said you didn't like her much or something like that. No, I don't, but I do like her in these two films. She's uh, the trouble is really she good. almost always plays the victim or someone depressed, and it kind of brings you down when you see her on screen. Well, that's, uh, that's, she does play that part in this. And then Alison Janney is the sort of drunken uh, floozy <laughs> of the next-door neighbour. <laughs> yes. And so you've immediately got this wonderful cast. You've got this gold-plated 24-carat cast. And I'd never heard of it. It's the guys who wrote it and directed it are the same guys. I'm saying guys because they're yeah. a team. They're Nat Faxon and Jim Rash. Now, and Jim Rash, I did know because there's a TV series called Community. And he has a recurring role on that. Well, they, they're both actors and they've got huge lists of acting credits and also some screenwriting credits. Most notably, the I mean, the only one that I'd seen before is The Descendants, which is the George Clooney movie about Hawaii. They, they've got Faxon and Rash have got a, a screenplay credit on that, along with Alexander Payne. Who's they the also have an Oscar. Did they win an Oscar for that? Cool. I don't know what they won the Oscar for. I can never remember, but it wasn't this. Oh. Um, it should have been. You mean it wasn't way, way back? Yeah. No. Uh, this, anyway, they're, they're good. I'd never heard of them before. Uh, the kid is very good. They're you, both you, in it as well. Well, that's yeah. I couldn't work out who they were. Le well, Jim, Jim Rash was... is the guy who's in the um, the the shop kiosk. Oh, is he the, the guy, guy, the loser, so, yeah. who's never going to leave? And I believe Nat Faxon is uh, the the guy that runs the water slide who says hold. He is. Hold. He's yeah. really good because Sorry. he's the guy who's sort of like um, he he's sort of like a junior version of Sam Rockwell. Yeah. And they but it's lovely because they take this kid into their family. Uh, it's. It's I, never any question. There's a, a scene right at the beginning where, I mean, Sam Rockwell, he meets three times before he actually talks to him. Well, the, the thing is, the, the, the status of 
poor old Duncan is established very early in this movie because they're driving to this seaside town in a station wagon and in the front seat are the mother and father, so to speak, like mm. his mum and her boyfriend. Then the entire next seat is occupied by... Okay, I've got to stop at this point and say there are two things that, I, that are this movie failed for me. And one of them is I always assumed this girl was going to be Duncan, was Duncan's sister. And I no, she's not. No, she, she's she's the boyfriend's daughter, yeah. right? So you've got two, you've got a, a, a man and a woman who both have children by a previous marriage who are now going out. But that was not clear to me until the very end of the film. When oh really? <laughs> yeah, when um, uh, the mother when he says that somebody says they're going, meaning the the father and the daughter. And I thought, oh, I thought she was his sister. No, she right was, at the very beginning, she says he's not my brother. When they say take your brother to the sea, seaside, to the beach. Oh, I thought it was just like she was just sort of disowning him. No. So this is why it didn't she work. knows the neighbour when they get there, but yeah, Duncan doesn't. It, 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 I, well, it didn't work for me because I assumed that she was his sister all the way through. And when right. I learned that she wasn't his sister, I suddenly thought, well, why isn't there some kind of, you know, sexual, because they're teenagers, Yeah. some some kind of sexual tension between them. Well, she does call him a perv when he's watching her and... Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to rewind to that scene. Uh, the, well, she was just one of many blondes at the beach, wasn't she? And, well, also at the beach when they're talking about him, they say, yeah, why why'd you have to bring him along? And she goes, oh, it's my dad made me. But you see, all through, all of that could have been read as him being her brother. So it, that didn't work for me. I mean, it's a minor quibble, but it, I, it's not good to get to the end of the movie and find that the relationships you thought what they were are something quite different. So that... That was the thing that bugged me. I might as well mention the other thing that bugged me. There's a scene where he comes home, our hero comes home, and he stares at this patch of grass, which is supposed to be very meaningful. And the meaning of that patch of grass is the car is gone, which means that uh, Trent, who's the boyfriend, i.e. stepdad, has, has gone and the mother's upset because he's gone. But it doesn't work because you can't show the absence of a car. <laughs> well... I know you're going to defend it. You can, point. because the car means everything to him. He's quite obsessed with his car. Yeah, he even goes to the trouble of covering it when it rains. Yeah, but the fact... You can't... You can't... The, the, only the car way, not mean... The, the, the car not, not being there, there is just... He must have gone. Yeah, but all that doesn't register. All that registers is, here's some grass. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> the only way you could make that scene work is to show the car there and then have it fade away. So it's just a film grammar thing. You know, the scene in the script says, he looks... The car isn't there. <laughs> you can't shoot that scene. It doesn't, anyway, but these the reason I made, made these quibbles is they're the only quibbles I've got. Yeah. So getting back to that station wagon, in the back seat is the girl I thought was his sister, was in fact just the Trent's daughter. Then at the very back of the station wagon, sort of crammed into this rumble seat, is the poor kid, and the Esther sort of sits staring out the back window. And as they finally get in... Oh, and there's some really nasty dialogue from Trent, because yeah. everybody else is asleep, and Trent is just... he's. He tells the boy that he thinks he's a three out of ten. Well, the initial that initial dialogue, we don't even see the visuals. It's over a black screen, and then it comes up when he repeats himself to Duncan about a third time, when he's asking him to say what he thinks he is. Okay, but the the, the three bit is it? Yeah. We so can... we don't even know there's other people in the car at that stage. But no, but the three bit we do know it by then. Yeah, absolutely. And the point about. We're talking about Sam Rockwell and how he keeps cropping up. So when they drive into town, this kid's jammed in the back of the station wagon. He's staring out the back. And there's this guy in this kind of battered sports car who's Sam Rockwell, who sort of waves to him. So that's their first encounter. He just smiles. Yeah. it's um, Yeah. And the thing is, what I also like about this is with Duncan is that physically he changes throughout the film. 
And at the very he beginning, does. they make him very pale and pasty, and they uh, give him excessively red lips. And but, but also, he walks around really hunched up. Yes, which made me hate him. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, he, you know, he's an infuriating kid, infuriatingly but... introverted and gloomy yeah. and mopey. Mopey yeah. is a good word for him. But that's just. I thought that's what the character was going to be. But of course, this is about him blossoming, and it's it's great because he he ends up. I forget how he ends up going to the water park the first time. He just goes out on his bike for a long ride. Yeah, and just ends, ends up, up at this water park. Well, actually, I th- I don't know if he clocks it on Sam Rockwell's jacket when they meet beforehand. No, they it just meet says in a bar. Sta- it says staff on the back. That's all. I no, saw. it does. It says Waterwiz yeah. on the yeah. on the jacket. So it's possible that he sees him there. Yeah. And the other guys have got Waterwiz uh, shirts on as well when they Waterwiz. go. Waterwiz. Um, but again, Sam Rockwell, from the moment he meets him in that bar, is just speaking to him on a completely different level to the way everyone else speaks to him. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's being nice to him, but he's treating him differently. It's more that. He's not an unpleasant guy. Everything he does seems to be just to... It's all the same sardonic. He's sort of treating him as an equal. In other words, he's taking the piss out of him. He's, yeah. he's mocking him in the same sardonic way he would mock anybody else. Even later on, when he's introduced to Pete with a lazy eye, um, his way of dealing with that is fantastic. It's just, oh, well, I've got to see it now. Yeah. <laughs> says, I, I, wish, I wish I had one of those lazy eyes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that... There's, we mentioned the fact that uh, the stepdad, he's not the stepdad, but you know what I mean, Trent, calls him a three, three out of ten. Yeah. And then the kid discloses this to Sam Rockwell at some point. Then it, there's a great scene at the end where there's a confrontation between Sam Rockwell and Trent. And he says something, he refers to the three thing. And yeah. he, he looks like he's about to thump Trent. He, he actually stands between the kid and Trent to, sort of as to defend him. It's All really, he says is, I'm a friend of the three. I'm a, that's great. Yeah. That is great. And it's just so moving because he's so taken the side of the kid. And he almost doesn't need to thump Trent to make the point. He doesn't thump him. But, no. you know, you feel that you really feel that the, the power has shifted. And it's wonderful. It's, it's such an uplifting moment. It really is. It's an uplifting film. Yeah, I agree with that. Because uh, it changes his life working at this... And the thing about this water park is it's, it's a stupid, <laughs> run-down, sleazy sham of a water park, but it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute shit pit with people who have got nowhere else better to work. And the entire cast... Because you've got uh, Maya Rudolph in it as well. And I should stress that I don't know if you already know this or not, but Maya Rudolph was pregnant during the filming. Is, um, is she the woman at the water park? Yes. Yeah. And what happened was um, filming was delayed, I think, and they had to reconvene later on. So her weight fluctuates from shot to shot. And it, she, I, I saw an interview with her where she said, I really hate that film because people just think I was out of control. <laughs> yeah, and to, she's nice, but all the people who work at this water park are really nice. And they, they sort of just take him under their wing and he finds a home for himself. Yeah. And a, a refuge. And it's, it's great. It's really a lovely feeling. But the thing is... He has this nightmarish experience at home with his family and he flees the water park with the kid with a lazy eye who's his next door neighbour. And they walk into this party that's going on. And the hilarious thing is the music that's playing in the party is, is Sneaking Sally Through the Alley by Robert Palmer. And I had just been listening to the album like for two days straight because <laughs> I've been going through my records, uh, getting rid of loads of records. I thought, let's, let's give Robert Palmer another chance. And Sneaking Sally Through the Alley is one that, of the great albums of all time. So when this track turned up, it was just like this wonderful piece of synchronicity. Nice. You don't usually get lucky like that. Um. There's some the, there's a, some very moving dialogue where when the kid finds out that he's going to have to go home, he says, I wish I could stay here forever. 
And Sam Rockwell is like, oh, don't he actually says, don't settle. Because yeah. he says things like, you know, if you'd stayed here in the winter, your choices would be painting houses and doing something else. Like, yeah. you, And he also says, uh, the kid says, this is the only place I'm happy. And it's really quite moving. At the very beginning when he meets him and he's playing Pac-Man, and he's saying to him, you know, there's a pattern to these ghosts. Yeah. And Sam Rockwell says, forget patterns. You're not one of those guys, are you? He said, you've got to cut your own path. And that's what he relates to later on when he says the same thing. He says, no, no, whatever I say, you've got to cut your own path. You've got to do your own thing. And it would be nice for him to stay on. I stayed on at the theme park for five years. I don't recommend it. <laughs> you, <laughs> there's only so much you can tolerate. But happy I, do, I have to say at this point that you you don't have to have worked at a theme park like Matt to love this movie so much. It's... No, but I think it's why I probably connect with it more. I have the same thing with Adventureland, uh, oh. which is a fairly similar film. Oh, actually, that's the one with Hugh Laurie in it, isn't it? No. Okay, that's Futureland? Probably. I don't know. I have no idea. In that case, I have no idea what uh, Adventureland is at all. Genuinely can't remember the cast of Adventureland. Uh, I think it had... Um, it's one of those just Jesse say that type things. I, I really like Hugh Laurie, so I don't know what Matt's reaction portends there. But, so this movie is tremendously moving, and I loved it. It's very funny. I thought it was going to be... Like, I knew what it was setting out to try to be, and I mm. thought it was going to just be a, a mawkish Hollywood failure, but no. It's it's a movie that moved right into my heart and took up residence there, so it curled up. And Sam Rockwell is great because he's this great role model for the kid. Although you really wouldn't want him as a role model, but he's. I wonder about that. Yeah. Yeah, I I think he's a better role model than his mum. Uh, well, the thing about his mum is, as you say, she's she's a victim, and she's dating this guy who's who's banging his old flame. Yeah. And it's. Uh, but at the end, the, mo- the mother and the son coming together, they both sit in the back of the station wagon. I, I believe the film's semi-autobiographical from Jim Rash's point of view. And I I'm think, not surprised to hear that. I have half a feeling that the title stems yeah. from when he had to sit in the back of the, the station wagon and they called it The Way Way Back. Oh, that's the... Well, yeah. yeah, that would make complete sense. It's a terrible title. I think yes. the title is probably that, the reason the film didn't do better. That was the, the third thing I should have added. It's a dreadful title. It's really badly marketed, too. I Because I, I dug out the trailer because well, I didn't know why I, I hadn't seen it. I I was working my way through a pile of films I had to talk to you about this week and I kind of came to this one. And it's a picture of a kid wearing sunglasses. It's called The Way Way Back. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. Yeah. But you see, the what. The way way back, if I saw that, I would assume it was a movie about time travel. Yeah, and I wouldn't really know how to market this film. That's the other problem, is because there's not an audience. Well, when I looked more closely at the the DVD cover, which is there, they do invoke the names of Miss Sunshine and uh, Juno, which came from the same studio. Like it's very tenuous when you say from the same studio as Gone with the Wind, you know. (laughs) But they are at least trying to position it, which and both. Well, more particularly Miss Sunshine, because it's a comedy in a way that Ms. Juno really wasn't so much. They do give you some idea that it's going to be like an uplifting slice of life type story. So that they were making some gesture towards marking it properly. But, for instance, Little Miss Sunshine is a is a more striking title yeah. in the way that this one really isn't. This is a terrible title. You know, now that I know that it's the way, way back of the station wagon, that sort of makes sense. Yeah. But it's still it's still a terrible title to hang around the neck of your poor movie, especially when it's a movie as terrific as this one. Yeah. You could have just called it Water Wiz, and it would have been a better title. It, it wouldn't have been a good in. title, but it would have been a better title. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Uh, there's, so you, you know, relate to the ghost crabs or just do something else from the film than that. The ghost crab, yeah. Um, 
They call the they nickname him Pop and Lock. Is that because he does Pop a robotic dance? Yeah, this uh, this stems from his initial breakthrough performance on his first day of work at the his park. His break dancing breakthrough yeah, performance. Yeah, he's made to break up some break dancing that's going on, and he's been told to go and take away their cardboard. So, and Pop and Lock is part of that terminology of that subculture, is it? Yeah, and this the thing with this theme park that I love is that even the guys that are causing trouble there are welcoming to him. Yeah, he's got to go and take this cardboard back, but they're not they're not unpleasant I, to I, him. They insist that he does a dance. Yeah, that's all they want. And so then, what's happening is that they're doing an illegal dance-off <laughs> and they've got these cardboard boxes flattened there as the surface they're dancing on and, yeah. and our kid on his first day at work has been sent to break up this <laughs> impromptu party and pick up the cardboard. And they actually say, you can take it, but you've got to do a dance first. And so I don't know anything about that dance culture, but pop and lock is like the moves you make. Yeah, it's, it's when you, you do your arc and then you, you lock and then you release yeah. a, a So that becomes his nickname. This is not my area of expertise. No, but, but yes. you know more than I yes. do. And so he, he does. He makes a sort of pallid attempt at this. And But he's a good sport and everybody likes him for it. And what happens is he becomes a nickname pop and lock. And at the end, his mother, through a series of unusual events, ends up at, at the water park and sees... There's no idea he's been working there. She sees his photos up there as employee of the month under the name Pop and Lock. It's, it's a lovely I, I love that sequence. Yeah, I do too. As far as they're concerned, he's been doing nothing all summer. Yeah. And yet this whole world exists outside of their world. And he's... um, You do see him grow. Yes. As a result of this. Like There's a point where he he winks at the girl I thought was his sister, but is in fact his, his mother's boyfriend's daughter. That's a pretty turn. But you know, like he's he's confidently eating a bowl of cereal, and which is difficult to do. <laughs> yeah, and so he he begins to change. And also, I thought it was kind of interesting that the girl next door, who I thought he was shaping up to have a, a romance with, it sort of he tries and it doesn't quite come. He tries to he tries to go in for the kiss and it doesn't work. Hmm. Which I I I, I, mean, I felt sorry for him that it didn't work, but it was good that it was not the usual thing it was quite an interestingly different thing i love the montage with them it, yeah you don't usually get a good montage in films these days but theirs is fantastic but also the introduction to that where the girls in the theme park and sam rockwell and the other guy are watching him talk to her awkwardly and they call him over on the loudspeakers it's wonderful but then That's they send great. him back and say just to let her know this conversation was about her it was entirely about you girly <laughs> it's lovely and she she's a very nice character i'm just trying to do we know her name nice Please report to the Administrative Office International. Duncan, please report to the Administrative Office International. I have to announce this over the PA. As my voice won't carry that far, my throat suffered major damages during an intense makeout session with Lewis's mom. She has a forked tongue and a touch of the herpes. I don't have a mom. I have two dads. In your face. Hurry. Hurry. Please, hurry up. This is pressing. Pressing. Urgent. Urgent. I can't tell you how pressing. You can't fathom how pressing. How's it going? What's up? Did you need something? Now, <laughs> who's that big guy? Just a girl. Oh, oh. You stallion, you. I don't know. She's older than me. So what are you doing over here talking to us and not over there sealing the deal with that cougar? Well, maybe, Roddy, if you guys hadn't called me over here. Oh. <laughs> return to your lady friend. Duncan, please return to your lady friend. Please let her know that this conversation was entirely about her. In other news, this is very awkward for you. Is it Anna Sophie Robb as Susanna, possibly? Uh, yeah, because um, she's the... Anna Sophia Robb was in uh, the Tim Burton film from Miss Peregrine. Was she in that? No. Or was she... She's in a Tim Burton film. I just can't think which one. 
It may even be. Uh... Yeah. It, so I've just they do usefully quote dialogue sometimes in this. Mm. So uh, it is Anna Sophie Rob playing the role of Susanna, who's the daughter of Alice and Janney, and you expect a romance between uh, Susanna and between Duncan. We don't quite get it, which is sort of a nice thing. Well, you do at the end. She she kisses him at the end, just says, you just took me by surprise. Yeah, which is nice, but it's sort of having your cake and eating it when you do that. Um, I recognise the name Amanda Peet in the credits. Yes. And I realise now what it is. She's the bad woman because she's the ex-girlfriend of Trent and they, they, they start banging again and thereby breaking the heart of Duncan's mother. So she's the, the sort of beautiful, wayward woman. But I know her because she was in Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. Right. She was sort of the vamp in that. And I knew she was re really good in something. And so that's where she's from. She's one of those names where I recognise the name every time, but I can never put a face yeah. to it. But I'd suddenly seeing her in context, I realised who she was. Again, and, another horrible character. Her well, and her other half... I was going to say I really didn't like her, but actually I didn't like her because she did such a good job as an actress. This is the thing. Yeah. Steve Carell I feel sorry for because I, I will never not have this hatred for the guy because of this film. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, I sat and watched The Office after this because I thought, well, I've got to see what this guy does in terms of comedy. Yeah, it's usually nerd stuff. But there's still this underlying thing of this was the same guy. Well, you know what? I, I You've really got a problem with this thing because you, you, have, you have got a grudge against Scarlett yeah, Johansson. Yes, yeah, Scarlett Johansson as well. But I have to say that I have to go through the same process too. Like you, you see a movie and somebody's like the real bastard in it and then you have to... You see the actor and you think, oh, that fucking bastard. <laughs> and you have to really do it like a, a head chef. It's, it's a compliment to them. you know. It like, is a compliment to them, but it's also slightly creepy. <laughs> it is. And it's just that thing of not being able to separate the film from reality. But um, I just think it means... You know, but it you're shows right. it, how it shows the, the power of their performances. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Um, the Way Way Back is a terrible title for a movie with a wonderful cast, which is really well written and it's really heartwarming. And I'm not somebody who particularly likes to have his heart warm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I uh, do. But you can see why I chose it to go over those after 10 of rain, 10 to midnight. It's such a good film. <laughs> and I, ju I just loved it. I really did. And I think that more people should know about it. It's hard to kind of sell a movie like this because it doesn't have, you know, giant robots beating each other up. But... Uh, That's what I was saying. There's not really a, a, an ideal time or an ideal audience to release it to, so marketing it isn't easy. Mm, it's just not... This type of film isn't popular anymore. Well, it's... In some senses, it's a Christmas movie, but it's not set at Christmas, so no. that you have a, you've got a disadvantage there. And then uh, the marketing they had, they basically try and sell it as a big summer comedy, and it's not a comedy either. No, because it's, it's... funny, but, yeah, it's, but it's, uh, not like it's a very House. unpleasant film. <laughs> it's, yeah, well, they botched it, basically. They botched the marketing, but it's such a terrific little movie, and I'm really pleased that you introduced me to it. Now, as often in this, these cases, I've got to ask, how did you discover this film? I think Mark recommended it. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't think I found it on man. I'm pretty sure he said that he'd seen a film that he thought was really good. So, uh, the, really, the question then becomes, how did Mark find it? So Because... It disappeared without a trace. I'll be really interested to know. Oh, uh, I. It could have been a contemporary review. I don't know. We should have asked. I could. I could ring in now, but no. But at some point, out. at some point, it might be cool, <laughs> and we could even edit that in. But this, yeah. um, I'm hoping that, however, you came to find it, that our podcast will be the entry point for other people to discover this movie. And I think what you could do now that Sam Rockwell's much bigger name is push him to the fore in the marketing because he is kind of the linchpin of the movie. Although it's about the kid. It's about the kid uh, coming out of his shell, thanks to Sam Rockwell. So, yeah, I think maybe when we're promoting this on, on social media, we should mention Sam Rockwell heavily, because I think that's the only marketing hook it's got, and it deserves to be marketed well, because it's a lovely movie. Thanks, mate. Maybe we'll tag Jim Rash in the post when we put it up. 
Well, Nat Fax, I wouldn't mind talking to those guys. They're obviously very good filmmakers. Yeah, I don't think they've made one since. I have been keeping half an eye out, but... Um... Let's so let's have a look. Yeah, they've been working on Community, that TV series that you mentioned. Uh, and there's a movie called Downhill that they made in 2020, and there's one called The Heart, which is in pre-production. Oh, right, okay, Downhill. I'll have to keep an eye out for that and see what it is. Um, I, would, I would be really interested to see what else they knock out. Yeah, it's, a, it's about skiing. Barely escaping an avalanche during a family ski vacation in the Alps, a married couple is thrown into disarray as they're forced to reevaluate their lives. Anyway, I would, on the basis of what I've just seen, I would see anything by these guys. I agree. Well, thank you for introducing me to this. I, it was a, I'm very relieved you liked it. Like well, I say, it's my favourite film of very yeah, recent yeah. times. So. Uh, ter- terrifically heartwarming uh, and funny and rather lovely yeah but you know i feel it's time to see another slasher movie now okay we'll, we'll get some death on the table this has been a podcast by my friend matt west and myself andrew cartmel but very importantly the music the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by joe kramer thank you very much joe